Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia farm team. It would be nice to think that the unprecedented bushfires that ravaged large parts of Australia last summer were a freak occurrence, but it seems more likely than not that major fire events will continue to be an increasingly common feature of life in the country. For dairy farmers, preparing to protect people, livestock and property has taken on even greater importance as the threat of bushfire has increased. This episode sees Adelaide Hills dairy farmer Rick Gladigo explaining how fire ripped through his local farming community on December 20th last year. Rick, who recorded this podcast earlier in the year with Dairy SA Regional Extension Officer Beck Burgess, shares some of the decisions that helped save his dairy and some mistakes that could have been extremely costly. Just for some background, Rick's farm is on an area of 270 acres near Mount Torrens and he milks around 100 cows. We should warn that Rick's story could upset some listeners, so we'd encourage you to get in contact with your support networks if the subject matter causes you concern. Okay, let's have a listen, with Beck starting off by asking Rick what conditions were like leading up to the fire. The last couple of years have been on the drier side, especially drier springs. My main dam never filled, so that's the second year in a row that it never actually ran over, where predominantly before that it, it usually fills every year. Yeah. So we've been in a dry cycle mm-hmm. here especially. Uh, so our spring had sort of cut out pretty early. Our hay season was winding up fairly quick yep. as well. So it was a really, I guess, good environment for when a fire was about to come through to um, had all of the, the boxes tick, so to speak, didn't it, for, for what creates a good fire? It's It was always bound to happen. Yeah. It was one day it was going to happen. And there's a lot of areas... Um, the conservation parks here, most of them hadn't seen a fire in my lifetime. We live, we live in a fire-prone area, but we just haven't had... You know, we weren't impacted by the Ash Wednesday fires at sure. all here. They never got quite this far either. So, yeah. so I've always been lucky. So for me, you know, it's the first major fire I've been in. Yeah. So we end up with a really dry <laughs> year and... Or, you know, a drier year. And um, as you've referred to, lack of um, on-farm water with dams and the like. And we fast forward to December 20. So it started off the same as every other day. And like we had, we were, it was our fourth day in a row of, of extreme temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and predicted winds, I think, were probably 40, 50 k's possibly yeah. because there was the chance of a change coming through. So you always know, you know we expect some windy weather before that. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those days where if there was going to be a fire, it was a day you didn't want to have one. And all summer, I, I, uh, you're always on the lookout for it. Mm. You're always checking the CFS app, yeah. seeing if there's something around. You're looking for smoke the whole time. Every time you're doing something, you're looking around, it just becomes a habit. Mm-hmm. So that day we'd, yeah, I was pretty much finished milking whatever and didn't hear of a fire at Cuddly Creek. But knowing which way the wind was going, because it was blowing probably a north, about a northwesterly that day. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't going to blow, wasn't blowing directly towards us. So you know, I didn't have big concerns. So I was basically just monitor it and you could sort of start to see the smoke. So we basically, yeah, I didn't get too concerned. It was, most of the morning was as is within reason, but... We were getting reports from people in the CFS that this is a bad one. Um, they're not containing it. It's out of control. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably by lunchtime, we were certainly getting reports of, look out in the afternoon, you guys are going to get hit. Which I didn't particularly agree with because of the weather apps. I 
I follow the weather apps a fair bit and was watching what the wind's supposed to be doing at what sort of times, mm -hmm. what sort of strength they were going to be. Yeah. So we were getting reports of, you know, the wind's going to turn to the south and you guys are going to get toasted, which probably distressed the family more than it distressed me because right. I was just going, no, that's rubbish. I just can't see how that's going to happen. We sort of had a rough idea what we would do. The, my daughters decide they'll never stay. Yep. So they took the cats and the dogs and um, my wife stayed longer just to make sure, you know, anything else she could do here, what we could prepare. Mm -hmm. And she was probably in two minds in a way of, do I stay, do I go? But sure. she was a bit concerned about it mm -hmm. as well. Um, <clears throat> I've always had the plan that I was never going to leave because it's my farm yep. and I was going to protect it. I'd say in hindsight, it was still the right plan. Yeah. Uh, had it, you know, if it got as bad as what they said, I might have reconsidered, mm -hmm. but I still don't think I would have left. Yeah. So, and so my son then, he was sort of probably in two minds, but he said, okay, I'd stay as well. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the biggest takeout fixes, f uh, pieces of it is don't be here by yourself. Don't try and fight a fire on your own. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the guy lost his life mm. near here, did exactly that. Yes. And nobody knew he was even there. Yeah. So, um, so you want, you want two people there. Yeah. Because it's just a lot going on. So what were you doing during this time that you were being told... That the fire is on its way still. Obviously, the girls have left. Tanya's now left. Yeah, close to leaving. Close she to probably leaving. left by three-ish or something sure. like that, I reckon. And so you're still just preparing around the farm. Um, are you moving stock or anything at this stage, or are you still just keeping an eye on what's going on? We didn't move stock. It was always the hard one of what do you do. Yeah. Sure. Just how much do you do, because is it just going to be a false alarm? Yes. And you're going to do a lot of work for nothing? I mean, yep. it sounds silly, but... You think, well, how many stock do I shift? You know, I've got 280 stock to shift somewhere. Yeah. In varying groups. You know, I've got a beef herd. I've got young stock, but dairy herd itself. Yes. So my main points have always been the dairy herd itself. Yeah. And I'll protect whatever else I can if I can. Sure. But that was always my main one. So that's your priority list, so to always speak. Always is. Yep. As the day was getting on was, okay, I need to milk at some stage, but I have a milker. So yes. he was sort of ringing me saying, what do you want to do? And I, So the plan was... Come a bit earlier, mm -hmm. we're going to milk, we've still got power. Yes. Um, let's get the cows done, so that's just a job out of the way. Yeah. It's one less thing I need to think about. Sure. I've got my son to feed the cows close to the house, mm -hmm. so we knew where they were. Yeah. Normally I just have a thousand litre shuttle on the back of my ute. Yes. And this time I had our truck here, so I thought, no, we always run out of water. Mm -hmm. So we'll put, two we'll put two shuttles on the truck, and because it's summer, we knew we could get around what I wanted to protect, yes. I knew I could get around in the truck. Yeah. So we stuck, we prepared the truck like that, the fire unit on there, mm -hmm. um, one fire pump on there. Uh, I even wheeled the irrigator out and thought, oh, okay, I knew I was going to be impacted from the south. Yes. It wasn't going to be the north, so I looked at putting the irrigator out behind the house just to wet the ground down. Yeah. The area around my house, I it's always cleared because I've lived here all my life, knowing one day will there be a fire. So yeah. while we have big red gums around here. Mm -hmm. Nothing's real close to the house. Yeah. Um, close, but not within you know, 40 metres probably. But the rest of my grass around the place is fairly short, and especially by then, because of the way the season had been, yeah. it was fairly short, and I do have a habit of eating things down pretty well yeah. in stock. So so we just basically, okay, what else do we prepare? What else do we shift? And, mm -hmm. and my rather runoff block where I had young stock on, I didn't even contemplate what to do with them. Yeah, okay. And part of that was really not knowing where the fire was. even was. Yeah. At about, it was probably half past two-ish, I did go for a drive mm -hmm. just to 
try and get a bearing of where things were and I, I went sort of near just west of Charleston. Yes. No, east of Charleston, I should say, on the hill there and that was when the fire went from sort of Loberthal towards Woodside there. Yeah. Um, went, okay, we're all fairly safe at this stage. Whatever, it sort of took the panic out of it. Sure. And yeah, that was pretty much our plan was, okay, I thought I had water. Yeah. And of course we still had power at that stage. That's right. So, so our day was basically the milk had come, we got the cows done. Yeah. And he left, I said, basically I want you out. And while we were actually milking, the smoke was coming down through the valley from Mount Torrance direction towards Birdwood. So by the time we were milking, you couldn't even see anything anymore for, right. for blue. So which made it really scary because he went, Where's the fire? Sure. Is it closer than I think? So you've gone through the day doing all of your preparedness as much as possible. You've milked the cows. When is the point now that you fast track, I suppose, where things started getting really dicey, I suppose, and the fire has arrived? You've spoken about the smoke coming through and, and at that point it's starting to get pretty scary because you go, well, actually, where is it? And mm. you're essentially flying blind to some extent. When is that next point that you go, well... Things are really actually on now and it's very fastly approaching us very quickly. The communication is so poor. Like the CFS app is so out of date. Yes. It's just And you listen to the ABC, and no, I think it's ABC, but the reports there were telling you nothing that they didn't tell you two hours before For or sure. whatever. So you, yeah. you were flying blind a fair bit. Okay. After milking, I had uh, a friend I know in the CFS, who's a region guy, he, yes. he did call in here. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of friends from uh, of my son's. Them and their dads turned up with a couple of utes with tanks on, yeah, which was really good. And they, they leave. They were farmers, so they've, they've been and both of them have been in fires before, so they know what they're doing. Okay. So I spoke to the region guy, and he basically said, "Look, I can't promise you any CFS trucks mm-hmm. that you'll see anybody. Yeah. Um, they're all sort of caught down south. Some of them have been told just to go back and protect the towns. Right. And that was pretty much the voice of the CFS was." Asset protection, protecting towns. Sure. Um, so how did that make you feel at that time then, being pretty much told what you've got here is how it's going to be? Uh, did you feel prepared enough at that time? It's probably just hits home that we're on our own. Sure. Whatever happens here, don't expect anyone to come and help you. And knowing that once it gets dark mm. is that you're not going to have planes flying around either. Yeah. And, of course, they had to be they were grounded for a while as well in the afternoon because the fire burnt straight through where the planes take out of Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. and plus if it gets too windy, they can't fly. So, so that was basically the nail that goes, right, we're here on our own. It's yes. up to us what we do. So after milking, I actually did go up on the top of my hills on the motorbike yes. just for a look to try and get some bearing. And at that stage, the smoke had started to clear. Mm-hmm. And we had seen the bomber fly around, and that was probably 6 o'clock, maybe 6.30, something like that. Okay. We did see a, a bomber drop just to the south of me. That's when I thought the fires got really close. So when I saw that, I went, all right. And so I spoke to a couple of neighbours on the south of me where the fire was really close to them and said, look, what are you doing? I said, look, I've got these guys here. My concern is when this wind turns to the south, this is just creating this big front that's mm-hmm. going to come at us. In my so-called wisdom, I said, look, we'll come over there. That, and, of course, I left, my tr- left the truck here to come over with these other two farmers, Utes. And probably one first bad decision is that they... One only carried 600 litres of water and one only carried 400 litres of right. water. So we said, what we'll do is we'll come up into your land there and we'll try and put all that front out. So if the wind turns, we should be fairly safe. Sure. So I did take my ute up there, mm-hmm. even though I had no fire unit on it. 
and parked it in one of the neighbours. Right. And off we went. <clears throat> and we put out this first lot thinking we're doing really well, although it was still skipping away to the east of us. As the fire came over the rise, it just took off. Right. And we were in it. Sure. And that wasn't a good part. Yes. So we got really caught in it. Okay. In that one, and it, it just roared through us. And, and this it, still wasn't the main fire front. This was just the offshoot. This was just the, this finger offshoot. Sure. Yeah, so my good idea didn't go to plan very well at all. And right. plus, it then it it was dark. It was yes. like this happened, and suddenly it was just dark. Right. And I'm in property that I only half know. It's not my own land. Yes. Thinking I sort of know a way out of here, but the fire was burning to where we had to exit from. Right. And it was actually burning towards my farm. And that was probably the point I went, you're Silly. an idiot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because now you're standing behind the fire, the fire's burning towards your farm and towards your dairy, and you're sitting here watching it and there's nothing you can do. And basically we were out of water as well at the same time. We sat there and we thought of a different way to get out and then went back and get some water. Uh, and we'll go back and see what happened to my dairy. Uh, fully expecting that it would be burnt. Yeah. Um, and knowing that the neighbours across the road from a dairy, he hadn't had stock in there all the spring, and that he just put stock in the week beforehand, so he had a pile of feed sitting in there. Sure. So I was expecting the worst. Yeah. So we did that. We managed to get down, and um, you know, look, there's trees alight, there's flames, stuff burning down through you know, some reveg area that I had, so there was. Plenty of stuff burning on. Yeah. We turned around and thought, right, we'll go back, check the dairy and, and decide what we're going to do and see if we can, you know, we've got to get back to the house. That was our focus again. Uh, and as we come around the corner above my dairy, there's a dairy sitting there, not even touched. And I think the dairy itself and the grounds basically saved a lot of it yeah, because okay. there's nothing to burn. Sure. It was bare. Yeah. And so it had nothing really to ignite in. Mm -hmm. And the the fire had bent right down the opposite side to my dairy, down through the neighbours, and when we come around the corner, it was just a wall of flame, north set, going north south, going down through the neighbours. It was just this wall of flames. It was amazing. Wow. Our plan was we've got to get back to the house, so we actually started to go down Cyanide Road and went. We can't get through there back to the main road. Mm -hmm. So we turned back and went. Well, we can go through my laneway because my laneway runs the length of the farm. Mm -hmm. So we went down there, and the fire was burning down through my creek. Revenged area. Yeah. We just went, should be right. But my laneway in the end saved a lot of it burning into the rest of my farm anyway because it created a fire barrier. Mm -hmm. And so we, yeah, we got back to the laneway and then just back to the house here and went, um, we've basically got to save what water we've got in case we need it. Sure. Because I had a text probably two hours beforehand to say uh, they were turning the power off. Yeah, okay. And that, threw me into disarray a bit because I was relying on my bore to better access water to fill fire tanks again. Yeah, right. And that's mm -hmm. where I went, uh-oh, we're in trouble here if things get out of control. Sure. <clears throat> so we just made the plan of saving water and then I had another another guy rocked up with a ute as well mm -hmm. uh, out of the out of the blue. He'd managed to get through. So, so we basically stood here and went, well, we'll just watch it. When it gets close, we'll sort it out. Yes. And... So it started burning into the paddock where my cows were, and I just rode around on the motorbike, and the cows just moseyed along out of the way yeah, okay. by themselves. Yeah. And then we decided, well, <clears throat> we're sitting here doing nothing. We might as well go and put the fire out as it's burning across the paddock. So sure. we actually just went out with rakes and shovels and instead of using the water yeah. and just raked the fire back and put the flames out. The first CFS truck I saw was midnight. They were that stretched at the time. And they come down Cyanide Road and we were putting out 
uh, stuff along there because I was still worried that I'd have a spark from a tree or whatever that sure. would jump over near the dairy and still catch on to something. Yeah, okay. Um, that didn't concern the CFS. Their, their concern when they come along was, um, have you got any assets to protect? Right. Which my sort of response was, you'll be at F and three hours too late. But this point, it's very late in the evening. No, yeah. you, you may likely not have got much rest at all then. The daylight comes about the next morning. And what do things look like the next morning? Yeah, so the power was off. Sure. Um, there's only Coops and myself here. Yes. Uh, so it was about half past two. We'd gone for a drive about one o'clock with the truck sure. then because that's where our water was, went up the road and checked a couple of neighbours because I was sort of getting messages to say, you know, is their house still there? Because all my neighbours had left. Right. Which they had they told, me, to told me. They told me they were going earlier in the day. So, yes. So we knew not to rely on them. Mm-hmm. So we went up there just to check, went for a drive, just to, like it was just a holocaust. It was amazing, you mm. know, so much stuff alight and trees alight and, yeah. and big trees that were alight. So then, of course, I had the milk. So it was going, right, well, okay, we... And I have a generator to, to do to run the dairy, so mm-hmm. it was okay. Put the generator on the tractor and get it all to work. Yeah. Um, and look at milking the cows. So, so that was sort of probably eleven eleven thirty before I finally milked. And had you spoken to your processor at this time? Because were they in operation, or had they stopped at that point because uh, of the they, risk of the fire where they were? Yeah, they they rang me about. 11, 12 o'clock on the Friday, on the 20th. Yes. And said, we've been told to evacuate, and they basically just left. They sure. left everything, left okay. it as it was. They didn't, there was no clean-up there. They walked out the door. Yeah. Not knowing if they'd have, any, have anything to come back to. Sure. Um, like I said earlier, the reports were that, that had, they'd been burnt down. Yes. Uh, I started to finally hear news that, no, they were, they were all, the building was still all there. Mm-hmm. They rang me back late on Saturday and said, we expect to be in operation. We've got power coming on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. We'll be cleaning up first thing Sunday morning. We can take your milk Sunday night. Wow. So, so yeah, I didn't have to lose, I didn't lose any milk out of it. And because my generator can run the whole dairy, um, I can cool the milk and everything anyway. Mm. So, so it's basically, okay, get the cows milked um, and then, you know, feed or whatever. And the rest was, okay, we... I basically spent the next week where I didn't leave the farm. Mm. It was drive around, putting out stuff that was smoking, and there was you know, we had another hot spot on on the Saturday when I was milking, mm-hmm. where it came out through the old mine, got into some gauze and the old trees in there, and I thought <clears throat> I'm stuck at the dairy milking cows. Yeah. Um, the fire unit's all on the trucks, so and my son couldn't drive that, so I rang a couple of friends who were basically. Someone from the York Peninsula and some were locals here who were just like SWAT teams. Yeah. So I just rang them and said, look, got a bit of an issue here. Mm. Can you come and sort it out? And next minute I got four Utes turn up. So post the, <coughs> um, you know, you, we want to <coughs> refer to it as that post-recovery of the fire. It was drawing a lot of your contacts, I guess, wasn't it? And your community that you had yeah. supporting you now in those days after, just to, you know, one day after mm. another basically to get through. Yeah, so it was... Um, the good thing we had these guys getting around, so if you know, and they were traveling in, everywhere around this area because some of them have land here anyway, sure. which they were trying to stop, you know, possibly being the fire getting onto their properties. But mm-hmm. they were just constant contact with each other. They called them, I think they had a Facebook page even set up, and yeah, um, 
some people could just get, get on there and go, look, I need help or whatever. Yeah. Or there's a fire here or whatever to yeah. come and do something with it. So, so just like I said, they were like SWAT teams. What are some of the things that you have learnt about being prepared? I know when we started talking originally, you said, well, I wasn't really prepared that much yet. A lot of the stuff you've spoken about is actually how prepared you probably were in essence. So what can other people as well and what would you, what have you learnt that you might do differently? If... I'd always said that I'd have water because I got dams and sure. especially my big dam. I'm expecting by end of spring that the dam's going to be full so it'll be easy to pump water out of. Of course it wasn't. I was lucky if it was half full. Mm-hmm. So that was my first thing is water was my issue and while I always, you always get told, oh, they'll turn the power off. Um, I think somewhere I always thought, no, they won't. <clears throat> and they did. Mm. And so that my, threw me a complete issue of uh, water out of my bore um, was my backup. So um, I didn't, I probably could have tapped into my rainwater tanks. Um, but knowing how precious the rainwater was, I was probably, in you know, one way it's probably stupid, I didn't. And the other way, I was going, well, how am I going to get through the rest of this season mm. without rainwater? Because mm. um, I have no mains water here at all. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't use that to fill anything up either. Mm-hmm. So my biggest issue was water and power. Yeah. I didn't have water because I didn't have power. Um, we got, like the house itself, you know, I didn't, lose, I didn't lose hay at the home block. I lost hay at the other rental block. So here, we, you know, we had my wife and father-in-law and a friend of theirs finally got through on Saturday. It was a bit of an issue of getting through the roads mm-hmm. um, with some generators. So we, we had generators to run freezers and stuff and I have a generator to run the pressure pump. You know, I mm-hmm. could pump water to the house, didn't have hot water, but we had cold at least. Um, so that was sort of going, right, I need to work out how I'm going to have water in a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, I mean, I'll probably use my, my dairy generator because it's a three-point linkage job to have a plug in my meter box here and, and be able to run the, the house mm-hmm. and the bore and everything just off of that quite comfortably so I could at least pump water if I need it, you know, when I need it. So, you know, so looking at different options and, you know, you can have fire tanks, etc. possibly, but mm-hmm. um, it's a possibility, just don't have poly ones. Yeah. So, and you now we're all meant to have 5,000 litres or, well, gallons or something anyway on mm-hmm. hand for fire use anyway living here but mm-hmm. so is that i mean ideally I'd, I'd love to have a bit of fire unit set up you know it's putting a thousand liters on the back of a one ton you uh, can get a bit hairy especially a, a shuttle type tank because mm-hmm. you've got that height issue mm-hmm. center of gravity and being a hilly country yeah you, you gotta be careful where you drive mm-hmm. so i'd love to have something that was that could hold a little bit more water a bit more practical because mm-hmm. the other issue is that you know for the next week i've got got the, you know we put the tank on the ute was my ute's tied up and you know i want to do anything else with the ute or whatever or i've got a fire tank on it the whole time so but we had you know stuff smoldered here for three four weeks mm. underground where you'd, you'd drive around and suddenly see a whisper smoke and it was actually burning under the ground and you didn't even know and a lot of it was just you know, the ground hasn't been burnt, so there's a lot of mulchy sort of material there, even though it has grass on it. Um, and I've got, you know, I took a video of you'd hit these patches with the water and, it, and the water would instantly boil. It was that hot mm. under the ground. It was yeah. amazing to watch it bubble. So, 
Um, and we kept having that and just, you know, little bits would just break out here and smolder along a bit more. And, you know, you forever hearing the plane. You got sick of listening to the planes flying overhead all the mm, time. And the other one is now knowing that you can't be reliant on the CFS to be here. Mm. Don't expect they're going to come and protect your house because, you know, had the fire burnt to the house, they wouldn't have been here. Mm. So I'm on my own apart from anyone who comes to help me, but it, but I'm not relying on the CFS or a bomber or whatever because the bombers aren't going to be here in the dark and the CFS in a big fire like that are caught short of being able to get it everywhere. So, so it's building some resilience myself of being able to provide power for numerous things, being able to access to water and protecting my property by myself um, and having the equipment to be able to do it. Well... Thank you so much for sitting here with us today and talking about your experience. I know, um, let's hope it is a one in a lifetime experience and we don't have to go through it again, that's for sure. But I greatly appreciate your time and um, yeah, you sharing what uh, your experience was with everybody else who's listening today. So thanks so much, Rick. That's all right, Beck. And probably and I will finish off and thanks to people like yourself because one of the biggest parts after the fire is the support from the community, mm. you know. We were making phone calls around just to see how people were, how they were affected, did they need anything? And even though we'd been affected ourselves, everyone was looking after everybody else, as well as you know, people like yourself and Dairy SA who were, you know, what else can we do for you? Mm. What do you need? And yeah. uh, and then you were still getting offers of hay and stuff, people ringing up. And got the stage, I was sick of the phone ringing. I was too busy doing other <laughs> stuff. Thinking, how am I supposed to help my cows with the phone ringing all the time? It's a good so, problem to have when something was, goes bad, the, the support from community around was was fantastic. Yeah, you know, that was one of the the greatest things to come out of it. Is you know the community does band together mm. when something like this happens, and you, know, you hear some pretty hard luck stories along the way of what people have lost. And I you know, I come out at the end. You know, a lot of fencing I haven't even done yet because I decided there were plenty of people who who have no fencing. I still had fencing that I could repair enough to get me through. So yeah, um, and, you know, there's people that just lost so much in it. Mm. as well and then um but you know we're all here that we can all talk about it and we probably all learnt something from it in the end and and hopefully we're better prepared next time absolutely well thank you so much thanks to beck and especially rick for sharing a story that is still clearly raw to him if you haven't already prepared for the upcoming fire season then now is the time there's information available at dairyaustralia.com.au or talk to your local fire authority about developing a bushfire preparedness plan for your farm. Also, if this podcast has raised any concerns for you personally, you can seek help at beyondblue.org.au, where there's a section on bushfires and mental health. That's it for this episode. As always, you can find other Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud, or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now.